Welcome back to the Jubilee Plus podcast. I'm Abby Thomas and I'm delighted to bring you another seminar from this year's Churches That Change Communities Conference. This time we're hearing a pre-recorded seminar from three people who are in influential positions in government, charity and policing. And they'll be talking about speaking to and supporting people in power who can effect change. We're going to hear from Fraser MacDonald, Alistair Durden and Colonel Peter McCall. But firstly, we'll hear from Alistair, who kindly introduces himself. Hi, folks. My name is Alistair. I'm a member of City Church Sheffield, part of the Christ Central Church's sphere of New Frontiers. It's my privilege to join you at today's Jubilee Plus conference to talk a little bit about how my job enables me to go upstream to bring change. As well as a husband and a father, I am an assistant director in the Department for Education and have been a civil servant for over 30 years. Like Daniel, the greatest civil servant in the Bible, it has been my privilege to work with many different governments. Daniel served four kings and two empires. I have served eight prime ministers and four, depending on how you count them, different governments. But while Daniel experienced one unexpected overnight change of leader following the writing on the wall incident, He didn't face quite the same level of leadership turnover that we have all had in the last couple of years. One of the strengths of the UK civil service is that we are impartial rather than political. So unlike the USA, for example, we don't move on when a different political party comes to power in a general election. This allows us to provide a degree of continuity between governments and build up expertise and experience so that we can provide professional, impartial, and hopefully in my case, godly advice to those in power. For most of my career, it's been my privilege to advise and help the government ministers I have worked for to develop and deliver policies to help the most disadvantaged and vulnerable in our society, particularly children and young people. Right now, I'm responsible for developing and delivering a £70 million programme to test and refine the government's proposals announced in March this year for making improvements to how we support children and young people with special educational needs. My journey, in fact, I would probably describe it as a calling, started while I was still young with two key prophetic words, although I didn't know what either of them were referring to at the time. The first, when I was 16, was Norman Barnes prophesying that it would be easier for me to serve God overseas than to stay in the UK, but that God wanted me to stay. Which put an immediate end to all those grand ideas of church planting somewhere hot and by the sea. The second prophetic word, while I was at university, was from Gerald Coates. Amongst other things, he prophesied that he saw me in a suit influencing the influential. Many years later, I found myself supporting the government minister I was working for at the time as he presented a major new piece of social policy legislation in the House of Commons. I was sitting with a couple of other civil servants near the speaker's chair. Everything was going well until a minister was asked a question by another MP that he couldn't answer. And he indicated to me that he needed a response. I had a matter of seconds 
to write down a pithy answer, show it to the lawyer sat next to me to make sure I wasn't about to get the government into serious legal trouble and then pass it back to the minister. A minute later, he was reading out my handwritten answer to the House of Commons. In effect, to the whole nation. Talk about influencing the influential at the very heart of government in the UK and wearing my suit. Mostly what I do is not as dramatic as that particular situation. Although there have been plenty of highlights. But my job does give me repeated opportunities to influence and shape government policy for the good of the poor, for those who are vulnerable or in need of help. Not just to support them, but to help them do well and achieve the best they can. I feel what God has called me to do can be summed up as to influence the influential on behalf of the vulnerable and for the salvation of many. Over the years, I've worked on many different policies. One of the earliest was focused on supporting the unemployed back into work. Anybody remember the New Deal for the young unemployed in the heady early days of Tony Blair's government? I was working in the Department for Work and Pensions back then, and I was involved in helping develop and deliver that programme. I've also worked a lot on youth policy. Towards the end of Labour's time in power, I was part of the government's youth task force, developing approaches to support local councils to put on Friday and Saturday night activities to help children and young people stay out of trouble. In one area, as a result of the work we enabled them to do, the chief constable told me they'd seen a reduction in youth crime of 40%, numbers that ministers and civil servants can normally only dream of. And the lives of many young people were dramatically changed. One young offender I met ended up becoming a UK youth ambassador to the UN as a result of the work that had been going on in that area. The fact that the issues of the day back then were antisocial behaviour and carjacking showed just how much worse things have become in recent years. This is why I recently developed and recommended to ministers two initiatives to tackle youth violence and knife crime. While the proposals were welcomed, there was no available funding and it looked like a dead end. I asked people to pray and the net result was that number 10 suddenly took a direct interest in my proposals and helped to secure the funding. These approaches are now up and running in many parts of the country. The programme even got a specific mention in a letter from the Prime Minister to the department. The sort of thing us civil servants get quite giddy about. And as mentioned before, I am now working on a set of major changes to the system for helping children and young people with special educational needs. It's the second time I've been involved in developing significant changes to how we support these children, young people and their families. It's a complex and challenging area with growing numbers of children being identified with autism, ADHD and perhaps most worryingly social, emotional and mental health problems. I believe we have major issues emerging amongst our children and young people, partly exacerbated by Covid, but also, I think, due in part to the identity crisis many of them are facing. This is a tricky and challenging time to be speaking truth to power as civil servants are meant to do, and particularly as a Christian. 
And like Daniel, I have yet to face the challenge of being asked to do something that is totally contrary to my faith. But there have been plenty of times when the ethos of a government or the prevailing culture has created some challenges for me when it comes to developing social policy. I feel this is increasingly one of those times and I really value your prayers. I've mentioned Daniel a few times already and that's because I find him a great role model for being a civil servant. He never compromised on his faith and trusted God to help him with the difficult challenges he faced in his role. I see in Daniel someone who, as a result of his faith, had three great characteristics that make for a good civil servant. Ones that I endeavour to emulate, not always successfully. He was known for his great wisdom, his uncompromising integrity and his strong leadership. Daniel was listened to even when he delivered truth that was unwelcome because he had a reputation for wisdom and integrity. There was none equal to him. The Bible records that he was regarded as having insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. These characteristics are vital if I am to build trust with successive government ministers and senior management in a way that allows me to speak truth to power, even when it might be unwelcome. And while I can't claim to be on Daniel's level, God has enabled me to advise ministers well, which means I do have a voice that is listened to. One of the advantages of having a good reputation as a civil servant is that I'm able to draw on the experience of people outside the civil service who are doing great work in promoting social justice. And sometimes this enables me to give them a voice at the heart of government. This is included being able to involve people like Ben Lindsay from Power the Fight when working on policies for tackling knife crime. The initiative I and my team designed and which is currently delivering in key places across the country was in no small part influenced by his input. I've also worked with Tim Morfin, Transforming Lives for Good, who is a key member of a group I put together to advise ministers on how to improve the alternative provision system, the way we provide support to those who have been excluded from school. Much of the advice of that group was accepted as government policy and published in a chapter of a government green paper last year. And it is now forming the basis of some key proposals for changing the way we support pupils whose behaviour in school is becoming challenging. While advice to ministers has to reflect their ethos, and to be fair, whatever their politics, most ministers I've ever worked for genuinely want to make a difference for those in need. It must also be based on evidence. I can give people like Ben and Tim a voice in government because their work is evidence-based and makes a real difference. For those of you running social action projects who want to increase your influence with local councils or with central government, make sure you are building up robust evidence that what you are doing is working. And by working, I mean changing lives for the better, making a real difference. Demonstrable impact will give you a voice that is heard above the crowd. And good evidence will give people in my position a powerful lever to help effect change. 
when I can show ministers things that work, they are more than willing to listen. Well, let me bring this to a close by reflecting on the words of Mark Green from his book, Fruitfulness on the Frontline. He says, you can be a mouthpiece for truth and justice, for fair dealing and right living by speaking biblical wisdom into a situation. To me, biblical wisdom is not just about theology or principles. Telling ministers they should do something because it's what the Bible says will not, on its own, get us very far. Biblical wisdom is the truth of Scripture matched to demonstrable evidence that doing things God's way will change people's lives in positive ways, even if they don't all get saved as a result. The Bible is very pragmatic and practical. It both tells and demonstrates a better story than anything the world has to offer. Our social action programmes can continue to demonstrate this better story, changing lives in a way that will make governments take notice. Please do pray for me and other Christians you know in the civil service or who work in local councils. We increasingly need to speak truth to power and it's not always easy. Acting with wisdom, integrity and leadership like Daniel did is going to be highly valued in the coming months and years. Who better to do that than those who can, with strong evidence and great humility, grace and love, speak biblical wisdom into a situation? Thank you for listening. Hope that's been helpful. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Great. Thanks, Aister. That's really, really helpful. And we really appreciate your time in this. And now I want to introduce you to Fraser, Fraser MacDonald, who's also a career civil servant, works out of London, as does Alistair. Uh, and Fraser lives in London with his wife, Charlie, and their family. So again, uh, we want you to hear, listen, be challenged, enjoy uh, this seminar. Hi, I'm Fraser MacDonald. In September 2001, I moved from Newcastle to London to start a new job, a job I thought would change lives, both of people in the UK and around the world. I became a civil servant. I can feel the energy leave the room as I say those words. Exactly the same thing happened when I went to my, my kids' primary school careers fair. You had the policeman, the doctor, the fashion designer, and me, the civil servant. The cues for the policeman to try out his handcuffs um, were huge. You the, um, tried the doctor's uh, stethoscope. Everyone has wanted to use her stethoscope. Uh, the excitement around that table, the fashion designer of all the creativity and the energy there. And then there was me, the civil servant. Not too much enthusiasm, not really ever a cue. Uh, I think my job is a, is a fantastic job. I love my job. It's challenging, it's stretching, but it is fantastic. And the Bible, uh, the government is central in the Bible. Just take Isaiah, it says, for us, a child is born. To us, the son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. The Bible is full of characters working in government, being civil servants in, uh, in the Bible. And they inspire me and I hope they inspire you. Let me just use three examples. First of all, Joseph, this dreamer with his coat of many colors. Any dream will do. But I don't think he would dreamt of being a civil servant. But that's what he ends up doing, serving Pharaoh. And through this, this crazy life that he had, he ended up doing this job, which is the job that would change uh, the whole of, of history, really. For seven years, he planned with Pharaoh to gather in the crops 
um, to make sure the storerooms were full for the seven years of famine coming. And then seven years as this dreamer planned and delivered uh, food to people around Egypt and then to his own family coming and serving them, serving a global challenge, changing lives. And then he had Nehemiah, Nehemiah, a man in exile in Babylon, uh, the king's cupbearer, another civil servant, the servant to the king. And he uh, felt God challenge him to go and rebuild Jerusalem, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days, a task done at such pace, but uh, with passion and seeing God do, uh, do that work. And then he had Daniel, Daniel and his uh, friends, Meshach, uh, Shidrach and Abednego, selected for their skills into the, uh, again, the civil service in Babylon. Daniel, best known for many, well, known for many things, but one of the, the stories you remember most about him is being thrown in to the lion's den. But he was this wise, able and faithful man serving God in the government. So there are endless inspired characters throughout the Bible who served God through government. And then there's me. Well, I'm a civil servant now. Uh, you serve whatever government of the time you work within their framework um, to deliver their plans. And I was, um, as I say, I was in Newcastle. My last weekend in Newcastle, the church prayed for me to send me off uh, to, to London. And, they, and uh, this one prophetic word really stuck out to me. Someone prayed, and it's actually still an advert around at the moment, Red Bull. It said, Red Bull gives you wings. You'll have wings. You'll be like, but the strange thing is you'll be set in London, but you'll travel around the world. And actually, the majority of my job in the civil service, uh, I have been in London, but a lot of travel around the world. I do international work. I've done international employment, particularly looking at um, uh, youth employment and the crisis around that. I've done uh, education collaborations, science collaborations, innovation collaborations with countries around the world. I've just spoken on behalf of the UK at the UN um, in, in uh, New York. I've spoken at the International Lebanon Organization in Geneva. I've negotiated uh, agreements with um, China, India, uh, many countries in Southeast Asia. And why I share these is not to blow my own trumpet, but to inspire you about the possibilities of people like uh, you and me uh, working in the civil servant, uh, civil service. I'm a middle ranking civil service, but you have such opportunities to really influence and shape, uh, particularly those who are the most vulnerable in society. I want to give you three examples of my work, which I really um, uh, 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 been grateful for. The first one is in 2009, UK was holding what's the G20, which is the, the 20 leading countries around the world um, get together um, to, to tackle and, and uh, discuss many of the problems of the day. Uh, 2008, we had the financial crisis. 2009, Gordon Brown was hosting the um, G20. And he wanted to put people, particularly the most vulnerable people, at the heart of the G20 discussions. But six weeks out, he came up with the idea of putting on a jobs conference. And that task ended up sitting with me. So six weeks, impossible time. It usually takes you between, well, probably six months at best, a year, uh, if, if, if you um, 
uh, in normal circumstances to put together a jobs conference. And that was pulling together 20 countries, or actually more than 20 countries than the G20, together to look at this issue of global unemployment. The crisis was hitting people around the world, particularly the most vulnerable people around the world. So at PACE, I put together a jobs conference, came up with three principles to make sure that first of all, we looked at how people, we could get people back into employment, what, what the skills that people might need, and then for those the most vulnerable, what social security uh, uh, structures can be put in place for them. So these principles were in, endorsed by the G20 leaders um, in their communique, you can go in and see it there. And the jobs conference, and actually it's employment ministers conference, is now a heart of the G20. Following that, that conference, um, number 10, or you know, half of, of the Prime Minister recognised that what we'd done is we'd, we'd uh, put something in place that particularly helped the 500 million poorest people in the world, the most vulnerable people in the world. Secondly, I was involved in a programme which became known as, as the Newton Fund. Again, the government wanted to um, set up partnerships with uh, middle-income countries around the world. And I was involved in um, making sure that that happened, securing agreements, uh, going around actually most of, a lot of countries in Southeast Asia, getting bilateral agreements in place. I just wanna give you one example of the agreements we got in place. I was in the Philippines leading a team um, and with partner organizations. And we have visit, we have visited a rice institute in, uh, in the Philippines. And what they were doing was looking at, um, uh, at rice. I don't know how many, there are hundreds and hundreds of varieties of rice. I never knew that. But, but with rice, it's a staple diet of more than half the people in the world uh, eat rice every day. And it's a particularly staple diet for the most vulnerable people in the world. And they're not only eating it, but producing it. And as there's less land and less water, um, we, were, we were looking at how we can uh, support uh, uh, rice, drought-resistant rice. And I was able to secure uh, funding for this program, um, which then uh, helps feed, well, actually had a small part in helping to feed more than half uh, the world's population. I don't think, you know, I'm responsible for that, for ch changing, making sure everyone's fed, but actually a small part you can play in putting something in place that changes lives um, is an exciting part of being a civil servant. And thirdly, I want to just pull into something a bit more uh, local. I worked um, in uh, Canning Town in East London, and uh, we're seeing the transformation of a, it was a job centre and a social security office into a, what we call a job centre plus. So it's bringing everything together in one place. And um, my job there was to uh, develop a team that would both welcome customers uh, into the job centre and then um, looking after sort of benefit uh, claims and making sure that we could uh, rapidly uh, process benefit claims and then we also have something called crisis loans making sure that people who are the most vulnerable when they came in we could quickly uh, ensure they had some 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 money to see through the week or had some money to buy some emergency equipment like a or like a fridge or a cooker um it, it did at times feel like you were being thrown into the lion's den um i uh had quite a few threats to you know get, get my head cut off 
by somebody, um, but actually lots of people are just vulnerable people um, needing uh, just the basics of life. And to be in part of a team in, in Canning Town, in one of the poorest parts of the UK, and serving people was a real reward. Uh, to do that and to try and do that as the best I can. So that's a sort of full range of the civil service from global um, to local. And hopefully you see those three examples of how a civil, working in the civil service can make a difference to people's lives. So that's look at the Bible, look at me, and my last is a challenge to you. First of all, pray for those in government. In First uh, Timothy 2, uh, it says, I urge then, First of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Pray for your government. Secondly, please um, encourage your friends or family that you know in government. As I say, it is a usually rewarding job, but it is stretching it's challenging, and you can imagine the, 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 the pressures that people are under. And thirdly, how about getting, uh, joining, uh, getting into government yourself? Encouraging friends, encouraging yourself. Pray about it, think about it. It's an amazing, rewarding job. There's great characters in the Bible have done it. There's us who are working in it. How about you? Do you fancy a job in the civil service? Thanks Fraser, that's really helpful and we really appreciate your time and effort in putting that seminar together for us. Now I want to introduce you to Peter McCall. Peter lives in Cumbria, he's the Police and Crime Commissioner for Cumbria uh, on behalf of the Conservative Party, uh, but he's a, a, a local preacher, um, he's involved in uh, local churches where he lives and I've got to know him over the last few years and as a man who uh, is serving his local community in a very different way to, to most of us. So over to you, Peter. Hello to everyone in Brighton, and uh, I'm very sorry I can't be with you today, but um, please take part in the seminar, and I hope this is useful. Um, the first question that was put to me was, why do I do the job of police and crime commissioner here in Cumbria? Um, and I guess there are several reasons for that. I think the first is that um, I actually believe in law and order and I think as a Christian I think to the passage in Genesis where God tells Adam to um, subdue the earth, rule over it and every living thing and I don't think he meant that in a an oppressive way but rather um, the sense that um, we need order um, in the world uh, and order and rules and of course God gives us rules um, later on um, in order for civilized society to work um, and inevitably uh, not everyone obeys the law and order established law and order and 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 therefore you know there's always going to be a requirement for an element of policing and I actually believe in that um, I don't like bullies or those who feel that they can commit crimes against others. Um, and I guess that uh, one has a sense of wanting to um, watch out for those who are vulnerable to 
be bullied or to become victims of crime and certainly those who are victims of crime I think it's important that we seek to get justice for them and part of that justice is finding and um, bringing to justice those who commit crimes. On a practical level I was leaving the army after a career of 34 years. Um, I had a range of skills and experience and I was returning to my home county and it's a long story but this opportunity to um, become or stand to be the police ground commissioner came up uh, and against my better judgment because my initial response was that if it had anything to do with politics um, I'd rather boil my head uh, but um, on looking at the job I thought uh, you know, I had something potentially to offer to it. Uh, and I actually prayed about it. Uh, and, and my response was, you know, Lord, if, if this is what you want me to do, I'm, I'm up for giving it a go. And as I say, it's a long story, but I ended up doing the job. Uh, and uh, I hope doing something that's useful uh, locally. Um, and I also believe that we need more people doing elected posts like this and MPs, councillors, whatever, who've actually done something outside of politics, have got some real tangible um, skills and experience to bring to the jobs. Um, I think there are too many professional politicians in politics at all levels. Uh, and I hope I bring a bit of uh, that um, substance from other experience to the role. Um, and I think finally, I was keen to do something working with people. Uh, and this job really is about people, priorities, um, and of course, money uh, inevitably uh, and resource. And with a certain amount of experience of dealing with those, um, I hope I bring that to good use. And, f uh, and I also like working with police officers, frankly. Um, uh, the ethos of policing is very similar to that of the military. Uh, focus on getting the job done and worry about the detail later uh, in, in, in many ways. Um, find a way to make things happen rather than a million and one reasons why not. Uh, and I, I enjoy that part of the job. Uh, I dislike the bureaucracy, I dislike the politics, but they're an inevitable part of what we do uh, and life in a modern society. Um, and we just have to deal with that. So in a nutshell, that's why I um, do the job here in Cumbria. The second issue that uh, I was asked to address was how the job as PCC affects the marginalised um, poverty and, and those uh, disadvantaged in all sorts of ways. And my intuitive response to that, um, supported by data, I think, is, is that criminals cynically target vulnerable people. That's not rocket science. Won't be a surprise to anyone listening to this as they target them as victims. They're easy targets for theft, for scamming, for bullying, things like cuckooing, taking over people's flats in order to, to deal drugs. Uh, and of course, cybercrime. We know that lots of scams uh, target the elderly, for example, who may not be um, as tech savvy as, as younger folk. Um, they, so they, they target all, all sorts of vulnerable folk, the elderly, the young, those who disabled, um, people with mental health problems, um, 
those who are desperate and desperately poor, uh, needing to find a, a quick buck. Um, and they're, they're targeted by criminals. We know that. Um, but there are also those who are drawn into crime because of poverty. Um, often people can see no other way but to be drawn into what looks like an easy option to make money fast. And, and let's be honest, being drawn into drug crime, for example, can realise very significant sums of money in, 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 in quite a short time. County Lines is a good example where drug dealing networks do target young people. Uh, they target those with addiction problems. Um, they draw them in to the extent where many, many of them become both victim but also perpetrators of crime uh, in order often to support their own habit, which drug dealers will try to encourage and, and, and they'll try and encourage them into addiction. And so there is all of this cynical um, exploitation by those further up the criminal food chain. Other people vulnerable to becoming victims are, are often um, also less likely to be well off. Um, those, those drawn into sex crimes, modern slavery and servitude, domestic abuse, child abuse and neglect. Um, but poverty isn't an excuse for crime. But I think we have to accept it's a contributing factor. Uh, and it's very easy for those of us who, who may not suffer from those um, problems to be judgmental. I think it's much more important that we understand why they're drawn into crime, uh, understand the nature of their problems and their uh, context in order that we can try and address that. Um, and I do see an important part of this job as being preventing people being drawn into crime in the first place. Um, because in many ways, whilst they can be drawn into crime, they're still victims. Uh, so we have to do what we can. Um, and we may not be able to resolve every case of poverty, but we need to recognise how it can contribute to the causes of crime and therefore to head, head it off. Uh, and, and, and I try, certainly try and do that by focusing resource, for example, particularly um, on youth activity. I have a certain amount of money from proceeds of crime that, that we've, we've taken from criminals. Um, and I tend to try and focus that on community building, youth activity, sport, group activity, uh, resilience building uh, organisations so that we can develop people, per, their personal development, concentrate on, on personal development, particularly of young people, um, to inculcate values and standards. Um, and I don't mean that in a sort of snooty way, but often they don't get this sort of thing at home. Um, and, uh, you know, any organisation where there's a bit of discipline, a bit of teamwork, um, trying to build up the self-confidence of young folk and others, um, I'm sure will help to build stronger communities and strong communities a better place to resist crime. And finally, how does my job, um, how, how, how can I affect policy both at a local and national level? Um, well, as PCC, locally, and I do consider myself to be a local politician, if you like, 
I'm not especially interested or uh, being drawn into um, national politics, uh, which, if I'm honest, bores me. But at a local level, it's relatively easy as PCC to affect policies concerning crime, at least, um, because I don't answer to anyone else for it. It is it is my job to set the police and crime plan uh, in, in, in discussion with the chief constable and others. So I can set the priorities for that. And obviously we need to work with communities, with various, various groups, councils, criminal justice, third sector, housing, whoever, people who can contribute to um, uh, building a, a policing and crime plan that actually will hopefully make a difference. Um, and so I am able, uh, you know, well-placed, I suppose, uh, with convening powers with those other organisations to try and draw them in together so that we're working together to address issues locally and develop policies for that. Um, and uh, importantly, I'm able to allocate the resource. Uh, of course, the resource is always limited. It's never as much as you want, um, but we are able to make those decisions uh, to put resource into particular areas. Um, inevitably, that comes down to choices uh, and, and, and we can't do everything as well as we'd like. But w the, the job gives me a fairly good handle on that. At a national level, um, uh, amongst um, my colleagues, the 40 odd other PCCs across the country, we do work as a group to um, deal with uh, politicians in Westminster. And it, it is a part of the job. Um, and I deal with the Home Office, obviously, um, Home Secretary. Uh, so one is in a position to uh, at least influence. Um, I consider myself to be in a position to be a nuisance to the Home Office, uh, and frequently am. Um, um, but in the interest of, of you know, trying to influence and, and, and make things a bit better, uh, I think it's important that we showcase what works from at the local level so that one we get you know hopefully uh, attract support for it normally that means money but also learning by the results of other uh, other areas as well uh, we don't have the monopoly on bright ideas but we should be sharing them where we have them uh, and and most importantly watching out for what the results are both here and, and in other parts of the country. So lobbying government with colleagues uh, and directly. I work with MPs across the county uh, of all shades. Um, uh, you know, that's, 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 that's not a party political thing. And I think it's probably quite important to say that as a police and crime commissioner, one does take um, an oath of impartiality on appointment. Um, and I actually take that quite seriously. That um, uh, you know, I can't speak for everyone. There are there are those in other places who may be more politically motivated than me. I think I'm in I'm in the fortunate position that I've had my career. I don't do this job because I'm looking for a career in politics. I do it because I think I can add something to it. That does give you the ability to uh, I hope rise above the partisan party politics uh, but 
but I do have to recognise that that, to an extent, does give me access. You know, I can access the Home Secretary and the Policing Minister and so on. So, um, you know, it's useful to be able to use that when when I can use it to the advantage of, you know, my residence here in Cumbria, and I make no apologies for that. Um, so using politics to gain access. Um, I, I also sit on various national bodies. Uh, I'm the workforce lead for policing uh, nationally. I sit on the uh, um, National Rural Crime Network board and, and a couple of others. So there are various ways that um, you can use the job to try and influence things on a national level. Thank you so much to Fraser MacDonald, Alistair Durden and Colonel Peter McColl. And if you're finding these seminars from the Churches That Change Communities conference helpful, why not subscribe and you'll get the first episodes in our new series coming in January called Tis Mercy All.